you for listening to this episode of Changes Big and Small. This is your host, Damian. Changes Big and Small will help you take action in your life with intention and purpose. In each episode, I present you with unexpected challenges that will help you take action to build a life that you want. I've been thinking a lot about the last two episodes on the brain and the role of the brain in relationships. In episode 105, there were three guests, Uta, Deborah, and Maria of the Creating We Institute, who talked about how important the brain and brain science are in relationships. When I went back and listened to the episode, I realized that we talked about cortisol and oxytocin being two main hormones that affect our relationships, but we never actually defined what they are. So I'll start there. Oxytocin is a hormone responsible for feelings of love and closeness. It can be increased by our relationship with other people or with animals. On the other hand, cortisol is a hormone for regulating the body's metabolism, immune response, and stress response. When you feel a bond with someone, oxytocin plays a role. Cortisol, on the other hand, is more likely to make you feel tense. Your blood pressure may jump and you are likely to be in fight or defense mode. Dopamine is responsible for reward and reinforcement. So if you think, oh, this feels good, let's do it again, we can attribute this to dopamine. It causes euphoria and addiction. And we all know that we can be addicted to things or attached to people that make us stronger or things and people that hurt us. So really those three hormones, oxytocin, cortisol, and dopamine, are very influential in our relationships, in how we show up in our relationships. Deborah also briefly mentioned polyvagal theory, which has to do with the vagus nerve. And that's the nerve that connects our brain and our gut and manages relaxation. There are so many parts of the brain that are engaged in our emotions and relationships that you would probably fall asleep if I try to catalog them all. Look at the show notes if you want to see a summary of my research. I've outlined some of the genes, the nerves, and the hormones that are involved in your brain as you show up in different relationships. The key thing to remember is that it's really about balance and remembering that the body is a system. The balance of oxytocin and cortisol that Deborah mentions applies to the other parts of the body too. So yes, we always have oxytocin and cortisol running through our bodies. And then the question is, what's the relative balance? When there is a situation like we get that, oh my goodness, feel a little threatened or stressed and get a cortisol burst. When we get that, then there's a whole bio cascade of things through the body that is going to have a little bit of that jump, but it's never like only one or the other. It's always that relative bounce. When you think of revenge, is that a positive or a negative emotion? Does it strengthen or does it harm your relationships? I found it interesting to note that the desire for revenge actually activates the reward circuit in the brain. 
I think most of us would associate a reward with a positive thing. So again, does that make revenge good or is it bad? This idea of a relative balance shows up again and again in brain science. When you love someone, compassion and empathy circuits get activated rather than the reward circuit. So this is when we may see people with rose-tinted glasses or we may find that we're in the honeymoon phase in a new job, that we're less judgmental of the people that we love, the people that we respect. This brings us back to the idea of whether or not love is an element of work relationships, which I discussed in episode 105 as well. However you want to define love, one thing scientists have found is that the love circuit calms down the fear circuit. It's interesting because when I interviewed David Stone in episode 49, he said something about that. He talked about love being the opposite of fear because I thought bravery and courage were the opposite of fear. And he corrected me that love is... Real fearlessness embraces vulnerability. I don't know what might happen, but whatever it is, I'll be able to handle it. Not that I will be victorious and defeat anything because courageous involves defeating something else. It's not a war and love and joy are the opposite of fear. Fear is a lack of love. Fear says something bad is going to happen to me. Love says nothing bad can possibly happen to me. Interestingly, while we may consider dopamine and oxytocin to be good hormones, they are great examples of why too much of a good thing may no longer be good. We want to have the right balance of dopamine and oxytocin. When that happens, we experience attraction, lust, attachment. Dopamine also playing a role in terms of helping us build habits around our connections and relationships. When there is an imbalance, our actions become irrational and may lead to jealousy and adultery. Brain science is fascinating because it's still emerging science. The key is that the brain can grow and change into adulthood, really until we die. In episode 106, Heather highlights how brain science affects our ability to connect and be productive in the workplace. So we covered the brain science module in that our team members' brains can be in fight, flight, or freeze, fear, which by the way, with what's going on in the world right now, there's a lot of triggers for that threat response. Or they can be in productivity mode, which is great for getting things done, but it won't help you innovate, collaborate, problem solve, et cetera. You can trigger their reward response, which has them being more creative, more energized, connecting, collaborating, problem solving. I think there's, I never really got that there was science behind this, that part of why I might do recognition is to move someone's brain from fight, flight, or freeze, or from productivity mode into the reward response so that they can actually do the innovation and offer innovative ideas that would help our engineering team. Because you finally help me understand why recognition and positive reinforcing feedback are two of the most important tools I have as a leader. Did you know that people learn better when they are experiencing positive emotions? Heather talks about fight, flight, or freeze productivity mode, and the reward response as different modes that we can be in, modes that our brain controls. 
You're probably familiar with fight, flight, freeze. We refer to this in everyday language when we say something like, somebody was scared shitless. Referring to when someone actually loses control of their bowels as a fear response. That's where that expression comes from. When we're afraid, adrenaline rushes through and the body gets rid of excess weight through its natural elimination processes. The breath and the heart rate increase and our muscles get ready for motion. It might seem counterintuitive, but freeze is one of the responses in this type of situation, as well as fight or flight. Someone who is afraid of a boss, a parent, a partner, will experience this elevated adrenaline and will not be able to be themselves. At that moment, it's about survival. The other reaction that Heather didn't mention is fawn, where the person will try to please the one that is triggering the fear in them. But the key thing here is that all of these responses are a form of self-protection, even though we may not see it that way, we may not understand what is going on. Heather also talked about brain research and productivity. I found that making schedules and focusing on a task are great for productivity, whether you're working alone or with others. The best thing you can do is to get rid of distractions such as notifications and other interruptions if you want to be more productive. This may mean clear communication at work and setting up indicators that you cannot be disturbed. Example, setting a deep work status on your office door or in Slack or Microsoft Teams. For creativity, we can actually build it. I'm not saying that we can't all be the next Kahinde Wiley. However, brainstorming and engaging in play and acting with another person could flex your creativity muscle. The key here is that knowing a bit of neuroscience and how you respond can help you figure out where you want to set your intentions and attention. In particular, to create a more positive mindset where you can connect with others, you can practice self-care, mindfulness, and be more playful. All of these increase your mood, and I have several related podcast episodes that I will share in the show notes. And as the next level, you could increase your resilience. This allows you to cope with challenging situations, to have difficult conversations, to be in environments where you may not be comfortable. And here are three ways that you can do that. One, get uncomfortable for an hour a week. That is, do something stressful that is a good kind of stress. So sit on the floor in a way that's uncomfortable. Relish a hard workout. Take a cold shower. Two, slow down and breathe. For example, alternate nostril breathing, which is just what it sounds like. Breathe in one nostril at a time, going back and forth between them. Or box breathing, where you breathe in, hold, breathe out, and hold, all for the same number of seconds, between two to five seconds. Three, try out some new hobbies where you know you'll fail along the way. Example, learn a new language, which will tax your memory. Learn a different way of swimming. Try salsa or ballroom dancing, whichever one is new to you. I'm sure there are many things that you could come up with that you haven't tried before, that you're curious about, and that could be fun, even if you're failing along the way. And if you find yourself in a situation where you need to calm down, you could try one of those two strategies. 
you can one, make your exhale longer than your inhale. So don't just slow down your breath because if you actually slow down your inhale, that is not a calming breath that actually gets you a bit more energized. So if you want to calm instead, breathe in and then breathe out with a longer exhale than your inhale. The second thing you could do is that at the end of an inhale, take one more sip of air, breathing in through your nose. Then exhale out all of the air through your mouth. To make this even better, you could get your body used to increased adrenaline using stress inoculation. If you've heard of Wim Hof, this is what is involved in the Wim Hof method. Tony Robbins also has a priming exercise for a morning meditation that involves some sort of stress inoculation. You can listen directly from the Huberman lab with the embedded video. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please share it with someone else who you think will benefit. Would you please contact me with any questions that you may have? You can reach me at contact at changesbigandsmall.com. Remember, change begins with one small step. Have a great week.